Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. Hello. <laughs> I just uh, want to let you know I'm about to press play, and I just realized I might want to document the last moments <laughs> when my mind was still completely blank on the subject of nothing but trouble. Yeah. This is an exciting day of your life. <laughs> it is. It is. I, it, it, I'll tell you, just to get myself in the mood, I watched the first half hour of Neighbors. Oh, so good. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm ex- it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm super excited. Is there anything, because I figure maybe some of our listeners are in the same boat as me, is there any, you know, a little piece of advice you'd like to give us I, as we uh, ascend this mountain? I think definitely go in not knowing anything about it. If you've never seen the movie, don't read anything about plot, what people thought about it, why people hated it, you know, like why it was a failure. Just jump in blind and let the movie wash over you like a slimy, muddy tidal wave. <laughs> and just like, it's, it's going to be a disturbing 90 minutes. It's going to be a new 90 minutes. You're going to come out changed for good or worse. Like you may hate this movie, but it will still change you. So I'm just excited to see how you will be changed by the end of it. I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to The World is Wrong Podcast. Nothing but trouble. (laughs) Welcome to The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films that the world is wrong about. I'm I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm Brian Connolly, the other host. And together we are here to celebrate (laughs) one of the most maligned films that I'm aware of, a film called Nothing But Trouble that... That uh, that is probably one of those. Well, Brian, we're gonna let you talk about it a little bit. People have heard this whole process. Basically, I just watched this film. I'm on fire and a little bit drunk. <laughs> and I can can I just tell you one thing, Brian? Sure. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> oh boy! Oh, that makes me so happy. Uh, it's just you and me then, I guess, <laughs> against the world. Let's just be quiet and let him do his little thing and we'll be on our way. Oh, I will let you be on your way. And well, when you go, the cat's eyes will spin! Now listen! Okay. We'll listen. Well, hey, hey, ho, ha, ho! <laughs> hula, hula, hula! The bula, bula, bula! Look who's got the front seats of the Mexican hat dance now! Just like a bunch of spiders in a birthday cake. You might be interested to know that you are not under the jurisdiction of just any old fishing license dispenser and stamp pad jockey. We've always been set to deal with the offenders once and for all at their first appearance. Quick as some grease to a ten-year-old goose. Congratulations. I'm glad to know things are running smoothly for you. Put out that dog rocket! Oh, sir, sorry. In 1796, my forefathers established this seat after the tenants of the old Shire Charter. Shire Charter? Excuse me, sir, that's... 
pre-magna carta, I mean serfdom and fiefdom stuff. Very good, young lady. Hey, you know, you and I ought to spend a little more time together. Well, I'd, I'd like that. Would you? Well, and more on how they packed me off to Farmers Mechanics University in Gracefield, Ohio for my engineering degree. <laughs> and how I fought the Germans in World War I later. But for now... Later? Wait, ho, 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 no, later. Wait a minute, what is this shit? Sir, no cussing in court. We don't want to hear the story of your life. We just want to pay the ticket and get the hell out of here. I'm sorry, Judge. Well, look at him. He's going on and on. This court herewith binds you over for a further appearance to be held at 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. We shall deem for the public and common good that you be confined herein. So for now... Good night, Harry! Drop the beat, Jay. It's been all around the world. So, this is a movie that is considered by many to be the worst movie of all time, or it's definitely on many lists since it came out in 1991. Just a little bit about what this movie is. So Dan Aykroyd, for those who don't know who he is, I don't know who that would be, superstar from SNL, made hit movies in the 80s, made Ghostbusters, which made, you know, a billion dollars. He's an interesting man. He considered himself a spiritualist. He believes strongly in the paranormal as being real, as did his great-great-grandfather, who was in correspondence with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle about spirits and ghosts and the supernatural. So he was raised in believing that basically the content of horror films is a reality. He also believes in UFOs and thinks that is real. So in that way, both Coneheads and Ghostbusters are based on real life <laughs> to this man. So if you're going from that and you're wondering what is the mind of this type of person, what kind of movie would this person make as a director? Like what is the Dan Aykroyd, the auteur, gonna bring to the world? Well that, my friends, is nothing but trouble. A script that he wrote after watching a screening of Hellraiser with his brother and realizing that the world needed the best horror comedy of all time. So, he wrote the script. He did not originally intend to direct it. He gave it to John Hughes. John Hughes immediately declined the offer with the excuse of, I don't direct movies I don't write. Then he gave it to his good friend, John Landis. John Landis hated it and said, no, I will not be directing this movie. So Dan Aykroyd said, well, if you gotta make something, you gotta do it yourself. You gotta go out there in the world because like, you can't just wait around for the magic to happen. So he made this movie. Uh, it stars Chevy Chase. It stars John Candy. It stars Demi Moore. It stars Dan Aykroyd. With this huge comedy cast, you can't miss, right? Wrong. People were so disturbed by this movie. Uh, the original test screening, uh, people were horrified by it. The studio took it away, made Dan Aykroyd re remove a lot of gore. I guess it used to be an R-rated movie. Took the gore out. Took the uh, more, more disturbing things that made it in the final movie, which I can't even fathom what that is. <laughs> and... But in the end, still is a great movie that sadly was hated by all critics, even the great Roger Ebert, whom we always talk about every time on the show, hated this movie so much he refused to write a review for it. He uh, only said uh, on the Siskel and Ebert show that when he watched it, it was an empty theater full of a few hecklers. He went to the hecklers and encouraged them to heckle louder because he didn't want to have to hear the movie anymore. 
Roger Ebert, you are so wrong, as always. Still love you, man. R.I.P. But this movie is something special. It is something unique. Some would brush it off as sort of a comedic Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it is much more than that. You really are rattling around inside the mind of a Dan Aykroyd. There's really no way to spoil this movie, because even if you read the Wikipedia plot summary, it just blows your mind, it doesn't make any sense, and doesn't do justice for what this movie is. And let me just give a quick plot description. Uh, so Chevy Chase plays Chris Thorne, who is sort of like he is like a financial publisher. He writes like a almost like a journal on how to like you know invest your money in a good way. And he's a he's classic a Chevy Chase character. <laughs> he's a banker. <laughs> no, he's not a banker. He's a financial publisher. And he's a, you know, a classic movie starts innocently enough as like, oh, this is like a classic Chevy Chase movie. He's sort of an arrogant asshole that we love Chevy Chase to play. Uh, he, in his fancy uh, apartment, runs into Demi Moore, who plays Diane Lightson. Lightson? Yeah. She's a hotshot lawyer. She's dealing with a difficult client in Atlantic City and must go to Atlantic City immediately. Asks her new neighbor, Chris, if he will take her to Atlantic City, he's like, sure, this lady's hot. Maybe I can uh, score. Maybe this is a great idea. And accidentally, uh, Chevy Chase invites the people that he advises financially, a brother and sister pair, the, I'm going to say the name wrong, the Squirinzu, <laughs> Fausto and Ronaldo. Fausto Ronaldo and Ronaldo, names. yes. His Brazilianaire, not friends, but, you know, clients, and yes. Fausto, brilliant, brilliantly played by Taylor Negron yes. in his meatiest of all roles. Usually he just plays like a pizza delivery guy for a minute. Always great. But here he actually is, I would say, maybe like third tier main character in the movie and is in the whole movie and is great. So they all four go to Atlantic City in a road trip. They decide to take a scenic route. Bad idea. Because they end up in the town of Vulcanvania, which is this crazy, middle-of-nowhere, old mining town, coal mining town. And, of course, they get pulled over by a cop, played by John Candy, for running a stop sign. And they get taken to the 106-year-old Judge Alvin, J.P. Vulcanheiser, played by, terrifyingly, brilliantly played by Dan Aykroyd in amazing makeup. And basically, the movie then just goes into this crazy, like, what you expect a plot of a horror film, where they're trapped in this town, the townspeople have more nefarious uh, reasons for keeping people around. John Candy shows up also as a woman, as Dan Aykroyd's uh, grandniece. Uh, Dan Aykroyd shows up as Bobo, a giant baby. <laughs> there is a roller coaster that grinds up people's bodies. Digital Underground shows up. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is Tupac's first ever film role. Yes. If that if that doesn't sell you this movie, I don't know what is. Don't listen to anyone who says this movie is shit. It's 90 minutes long. It it's it flies by. It's not boring. It's weird as hell. And no matter what we say in the next 2 hours, it still won't do justice to how insane of an experience it is to sit through. Dan Aykroyd's masterpiece, Nothing But Trouble. Uh, can I say, like, 
I got to ask you the question, but I just want to say, I was worried when you were going, when you were recapping it, that you would say things that I wanted to say. No, I wanted to. Even though you just described the movie, you left out everything I wanted to say about it. It's that there's so much good stuff here. It's amazing. (laughs) How is the world wrong about this movie? Uh, well, I kind of said, but like basically, like this movie is considered like when you talk when people talk about bad movies, yeah, like oh this God, is yeah. up this is up there. Like I this movie is constantly, constantly shed on for the last thirty. How years. is this movie not just slightly better than the Frighteners? <laughs> I mean, I love the Frighteners. I love the Frighteners. Me too. But yeah, me this too. feels like a like a more like yeah, just a I don't want to say better. I feel like it's a it's just as good as the Frighteners. It's it's a little bit weirder, which yeah. makes it more like what people complain about the Frighteners. Wait, th- yeah. I'm saying the Frighteners, right? That's the one with Michael J. Fox, right? Yeah, yeah, the Peter Jackson movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, exactly. and that movie, I think, and, and people people were expecting it to be more like this, right? Were people expecting yes. it to be more like this? And their complaint about that is that it's not like this, but this is like this, <laughs> which is the Frighteners that people wanted, wanted and people hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Dan Aykroyd, I guess, was lucky in that it came out the same year as Hudson Hawk. So this movie did not sweep the Raspberry Awards because Hudson Hawk did another great movie. But Dan Aykroyd did win for Worst Supporting Actor as the Judge and Bo- Bobo. Oh, fuck. Shame you, on you, Raspberries. raspberries. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, where, so I guess where do we begin to talk about this is that you have just watched this for the first time ever, which is very exciting, because I remember the first time I saw this movie, and I first saw it literally when it came out. I was so excited to see it, and I was not let down. I loved it so much, and I've always loved it, and I've always defended this movie. This is a movie that like, I definitely considered one of my favorite movies, because maybe because of the fight that comes along with it. And it's just, I, you can't, even if you hate it, you can't deny that there is no movie like this. Like this movie is its own thing. I don't even know what the art. I mean, sure, it's <laughs> like like okay. I have, I have some theories. If you don't mind, can I jump in here? Because uh, this film, please. First of all, I think that uh, that Chevy Chase and Demi Moore are both. They just are movie stars that are, you know, have a field of some level of hatred around them for different reasons, deserved or undeserved. But watching them in this, yeah, they're both so good. I feel like this. I agree. I feel like this yeah. is the best Chevy Chase movie since Foul Play, and it's better than Foul Play. It Ooh, might be the best oh. movie since best Chevy Chase movie since Caddyshack. It's the most. Damn, it captures that. <laughs> like the first third of this movie. <laughs> I can't even. Oh, this is a movie. It's like I would say that it's like Dan Aykroyd is playing to an audience of one. And that one is Michael O'Donohue. Like, (laughs) except that I feel like Dan Aykroyd would be like, no, no, no. I'm just like that. I'm already like, that's me. But to me watching it, I'm like, this is Dan Aykroyd being like, I'm going to make the movie that Michael O'Donohue will never get to make. And this is that movie. (laughs) And the first third, come on, they go to Cokeville with a couple of Brazilians? Are you kidding me? (laughs) They go down, like they're Fausto, 
Fausto is is urging Chevy Chase down Old Coke Road. Well, <laughs> I mean, Jesus, that's uh, come on, come on. If that's how can that not be? I mean, it's not only is it great, but you know it's honest. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> It's that's that's brilliant writing, and you're right. You got Taylor Negron there. I could just go through it, man. Uh, my head's kind of exploding with this movie. Uh, but <laughs> are you are you a fan of Michael O'Donnell? You're, you're familiar. Can I for the oh, audience? Yeah. Can I mention? Oh. Do you want to tell the audience? Who, yeah, yeah. You do. You're Michael O'Donnell. Well, Michael O'Donnell. He came out of he he was National Lampoon, right? He worked for National Lampoon before SNL. Yeah, right, right. and before that, I yeah. think he was with the Evergreen Review, this like this comedy literary paper magazine that like people like. Um, who did he collaborate with Phoebe Zeitgeist on? Who co-wrote? Oh, uh, who remember. the guy? The guy who wrote Doctor Strangelove. Oh, Terry Southern. Yes, Terry Southern was okay. part. Like he came out of this this. He that's what was the whole thing at National Lampoon. He was the cool art comedy guy who came out of this sort of more sophisticated scene. But he was the madman yeah. genius of that scene. And so he was the big <laughs> signing for National Lampoon, the guy who wasn't a Harvard guy. And he and he's sort of like the guy that really is like the, the a brilliant satirist and pushing the buttons and being offensive, but being still very smart and most importantly, very funny. And he became a writer on SNL and sort of like the weirder skits, the more strange stuff that made it on the air. He was sort of the vision behind a lot of that. And if anyone's ever, if you've never seen Mr. Mike's Mondo video, that's very good. That's sort of like his version of like a Kentucky fried movie in a way, but much more like a video art sort of thing. He de like, he is definitely an artist. Like he is a comedian and an artist perfectly blended together like weird weird shit very very funny and also kind of angry but not angry to the point where it's not funny it's just like he is like he just hits all the right buttons all the right times this is where i'm gonna just drop in the clip of michael o'donohue opening the very first episode of saturday night live with john belushi good evening good evening Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Let us begin. Repeat after me. I would like. I would like to feed your fingertips. To feed your fingertips. To the Wolverines. To the Wolverines. <laughs> Next. I am afraid. I am afraid. We are out. We are out. Our badgers. Our badgers. Would you accept? Would you accept? A wolverine. A wolverine. In its place. In its place. Next. Hey, Ned exclaimed. Hey, Ned exclaimed. Let's boil. Let's boil. The wolverine. The wolverines. Next. <gasps> Yes. 
<laughs> that <laughs> was uh, the that was Michael O'Donoghue. His, his yeah. he was brilliant. He was punk rock comedy. So it was it was violent. Yeah, it, it was kind of um, reactionary. It was definitely it mocked a lot of the '60s peace and love stuff, and it was brutal and nihilistic, and a guy who would never exist in this media environment. He would walk in the door, say one thing, be can he wouldn't he wouldn't even get a chance to get canceled. He was like in the sense that not not in the sense that like he was like it was sort of like the dirty harry of comedy. Like he was yeah. an equal opportunity. <laughs> like he was definitely his comedy was definitely anti-semitic. Okay? So that's like and I'm as a Jewish guy I'm like, okay, it would take it seriously if he wasn't being if everyone else wasn't so mad at him once he focused on them but when i'm he's making fun of other people i'm like come on that's just michael o'donohue stepping over your boundaries and then he starts to does like nazi humor and i'm like wait a second michael o'donohue but then i'm like oh okay this is okay that's the difference between me and a comedian is like a pure comedian just like goes after all of them and this film feels like that you know, <laughs> yes, like, this is not the family film that Ghostbusters was or even Dragnet. It's this is a movie that definitely slips into some really upsetting territory, really disturbing things, things that, I'm, that Dan Aykroyd thinks is funny that maybe other people might recoil from and be like, oh, my God, what the fuck am I watching? I'm really curious what the things like the things that I found offensive in this were minimal. Honestly, <laughs> mostly I found this to be a deeply moral film that understands Chevy Chase. Yeah. In a way that nobody, I don't know anybody who does. And that makes me realize how much of an imprint Dan Aykroyd had as a filmmaker on films like Neighbors. It makes me really want to go back and explore Dr. Detroit Mm-hmm. And definitely the Blues Brothers. Like, there is a cinematic voice. It almost, and it's yeah. weird, it's yeah. one of the things I love about Gross Point Blank. And it's like John Cusack knows how to use Dan Aykroyd the way that Dan Aykroyd yeah. knows how to use Chevy Chase. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd's voice is so strong that it influences Gross Point Blank, a film that he had nothing <laughs> to do with, except that he was probably the first guy who said yes to it. <laughs> and Dan Aykroyd is a really weird interesting person like on the surface he seems like just some white guy and like maybe when you watch ghostbusters you're maybe drawn to him the least because you are into the wise guy the bill murray or the like eccentric you know like harold ramus or the coolness of a winston zedmore you know mm -hmm. but like it's uh he like his life is weird he has webbed toes his eyes are two different colors like i said earlier he comes from this family that believes and studies the paranormal for like a hundred years. And he continues that. He still is big. You say on that UFOs. like it's a weird thing. And like people believe some weird is a, shit that No, like, but like that is that is but it's interesting. It's not just it makes like him some interesting. guy. It's, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's it, and like it's not like someone who became famous and then they got into it. It's like his family has been enriched by this stuff for decades, for a century. Like, it's part of his family. It's not someone who became rich. and got, It's not like Nicolas Cage where he got rich and started building pyramids and got into snakes and stuff. Like, this is a guy that his family for generations have been believing in what Ghostbusters is about as a reality. 
which is very interesting. And his mind is interesting and his humor is very specifically his own. And like, this is the only movie he directed, but like, yes, like Blues Brothers, like Coneheads, like Blues Brothers 2000, Dragnet, like it all goes into these Neighbors, weird things. Like man. He's a man. I Neighbors went, is so there is, weird. There are so many that little is a weird I, movie. I just watched the first thirty minutes of Neighbors to prepare for this, and because I just <laughs> I thought maybe this will help me get in the mood. It's like a little opening act, and I've seen the movie before, but it's been a long time. And yeah. so, the beginning of Neighbors, Dan Aykroyd gets John Belushi to give him the keys to his car, just like it's like a, a weird boss move that he pulls on John Belushi as the sort of nebbishy neighbor. And mm. in this, Demi Moore does the same thing to Chevy Chase. Like there's this whole, like, it's just, there's a, there's a weird iconography about cars and mm-hmm. power dynamics and mm-hmm. like a certain Amer- like a certain kind of weird, cruel, nostalgic Americana. It's like, I mean, I can hear, like, David Lynch is kind of weirdly built on it. Like, <laughs> like He also is a strangely obsessed with with law enforcement. Like, you know, it's like yep, he, yep, yep, like, in yep. this, in, in all his movies, like how the Blues Brothers drive the cop car. And I guess in real life, Dan Aykroyd has a cop radio in his car that he just likes to listen to while he drives around. Yeah. In Nothing But Trouble, there's yep. a part where you see a bunch of badges those are from his personal collection where he collects law enforcement badges uh, that Dan Aykroyd collects. So, like, this this is an interesting person making a very interesting movie uh, that kind of covers the, all the ground of all the things that he's interested in. That's kind of nothing but troubles where it all kind of meets. This is, this is his Mulholland Drive is basically what I'm saying. Um, yeah, it's there's parts of it where I'm like, well, <laughs> if Terry Gilliam does this, it's brilliant. If Dan Aykroyd does it, it's dumb i mean i don't there's this weird <laughs> there's so many good comp, i don't know the the things that are not that i don't love about it are just like the things that happen in all comedies of that era is that they feel like they have to speed up and blow up a bunch of things at the end but that's like true <laughs> of like the bad like oh sorry i'm sorry fans of the temple of doom that's what that's my problem with that movie too with the uh, the second Indiana Jones movie. It's just like this, a lot of that era, just like, okay, the third act has Blow to it all up. become a <laughs> ride. You know, so whatever. But yeah. even that, there's like, whatever, you, you accept it of the era. But the first two acts of this, goddamn, I love it. I just, oh. And Demi Moore is, oh, Man, she's awesome. She is so good. It makes you wish she did more comedies because she's really good in this and she really sells it and she's really funny. Ah, it just makes you and- wish that people were like even myself. I'll tell you what, it, watching this whole thing, it just made me wish that I was less dismissive of her in my own mind. Very little outwardly. <laughs> I remember in Hollywood there was yeah. there used to be a joke going around like that she needed three trailers and they called her Gimme More. But that's like the kind of bitchy thing that get that goes around, and I like I sort of as I was watching this, I was kind of feeling bad to have even participated in that mentally, having heard it and found it amusing, you know. And yeah, and it's just like she's just so damn good. It's not that she should do more comedies. Mm-hmm. She did everything. She did comedies. She did yeah. everything. Oh yeah, including yeah. Mary Bruce Willis 
And none of it was enough yeah. for any of us. Like, she's fucking incredible <laughs> in this. Like, I feel like, how close is this to um, A Few Good Men? Yeah. I f- how close is this to A Few Good Men? Because I feel like she's kind of playing it as a better Tom Cruise. <laughs> I mean, it's around the same. It's around the same time. Like that. That movie was early '90s. Like, I think a few good. A few good men was '92. Uh, so, a year after this, there's a scene. So she inspired Tom Cruise to be in a few good men from Nothing But Trouble. Basically, there's a scene I want to talk about. There's a scene where she's on. Just a. It's a little acting thing. She's on the phone. The show, she's shot from behind. You just see her pompadour. She has her collar up. And it's such a Tom Cruise kind of shot. And the way it's shot, it's like, <laughs> I mean, you can he- hear Dan Aykroyd saying, oh, cool. We're going to think she's a dude and she'll till she turns around and then she's Demi Moore. But it's like this thing of like, that's how that's cinematically how she's portrayed. And when she turns yeah. around, there's this great phone work that she does where she it's just it's just good stage acting and rhythm she use where she uses her props and she flips the phone around to get it out of the shot from into her uh, uh, under the other side of her head without it looking like she's doing that except maybe it's looking like she's doing that because i'm noticing it but at that level it's so good <laughs> that you're like well it's just like watching a dancer do something and you're like oh they just did that thing and that's fucking awesome it's like it's a little fucking it's little but it's just sort of it's a sense of like she's everyone in this is doing no one's phoning this this in. No, no, not at all. And and it's weird because when it, it was critiqued at the time, the reviews were sort of like everybody's phoning this in. What lazy, terrible garbage this movie is! And it's like you didn't watch the movie. Are you kidding? Did you turn it off after five minutes? Like, like John Candy when he plays the uh, Eldona, and it's all a silent performance. Like that part where he's undressing the big girls don't cry and trying to pick the different underwear for Chevy Chase to be excited about. That seems brilliant. <laughs> like, that's great comedy. Like, that's good acting. And Dan Aykroyd is having, like, the best time in this movie. Like, him oh. as the judge. Like, that is a fully formed character. Like, that is a terrifying character. Oh, it's disgusting. And a sympathetic character. And it's like, oh. there's so many scenes. Like, His nose, It's just man. like, is no, like, it's... It's so like he has his makeup where he looks like the like there's there's a lot of references to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and he looks like the grandpa that they wheel out in in that movie where he, like when they give him the hammer to beat the lady's head in with and he looks like that though he has like this weird nose that in some shots is a penis I think if I if I <laughs> am I correct like they they intentionally switch it to be a dick no the last shot is nose. totally that's like isn't that they do that in Kentucky Fried Movie is it in Kentucky Fried Movie where it's the the puppet show that turns out to be like the groove tube that's the, the Chevy oh. Chase in the groove tube that's the groove tube okay yeah so the yeah. groove tube ends <laughs> with a puppet show that that once you realize what it is it's actually you've been looking at a dick and balls the, the whole time For five minutes so well nothing uh, but trouble <laughs> ends on this shot of this guy the judge and his nose which we've already seen torn <laughs> off and turned into like in this totally horrific oh God. thing yeah then 
at the last shot is him sort of like he's sort of doing like a tricky Dick Nixon look at the camera, but his nose is an actual like he free shot. Actual dick. It's an actual penis. It's and and I think that's where people got really turned off by this movie. Oh yeah, but really everyone loved it in Boogie Nights. Gross. Yeah, I'll come. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. You put it on Mark yeah. Wahlberg, and you're all fine with it. But <laughs> you put it on, on Dan Aykroyd's face, you don't like it. <laughs> But but like this movie goes for the gross. It does. And that's not normally where Dan Aykroyd goes. And like there's one scene in particular. Oh, I don't like where it. They're ha- they're ha- where they're having dinner. That's the worst. And they're ha- they're having warm Hawaiian punch, Ooh. ants on a log, Ooh. and very, very great hot dogs that'll turn anyone vegan just Ooh. by looking at it. And then all the condiments are on this train set as it goes oh, around the, the trains. Table. The and trains then the, are big in this. <laughs> trains play a big role. The cinematic then, language with this one. Trains it, is huge. And the most upsetting thing in the movie is the shot of, of Dan Aykroyd's old character just oh. chowing down on the sloppy hot dog. And it is up there with The Exorcist as one of the scariest, most upsetting images in any movie ever. You know, I <laughs> Did you see the texts I was sending you while I was watching it? Well, it's great. It's great. So you were like, "When did this movie stop being bad? This movie's great." And I'm like, "I always like it." And then ten minutes later, oh, <laughs> I'm guessing it was that part. It's exactly that. It was right then. I was just like, <laughs> "That's oh. that is a total vomit bag scene." And but that scene just goes. That mo- that scene but, goes for it. This is what I don't understand. <laughs> Back up for a second. This is what I don't. I don't understand. The movie that's like well that's almost like an hour into this movie. There's yeah. been so much good, interesting, weird stuff that has gone on yeah. up till that point. And there's so much really interesting stuff that happens after that. Like I get it. When like I that got me up out of my chair. I was like, <laughs> I, I could not that was terrible. Uh but I'm I'm a very I you know, I'm I am a fraidy cat. Movie wise. So, you know, I expect that, like, I don't, like, of all the gross things that people get into, like, why is this worse? I mean, I, I get it. I'm not going to compare it to the, to the, the ear scene in Reservoir Dogs because it's totally different and whatever. But I mean, people get into gross things in all kinds yeah. of movies. This is only three years before the Fairley Brothers broke big with Dumb and Dumber. And that movie made a fortune, and all their movies did in the 90s. Like Problem Child came out around this time, which gets really gross and more mean than this movie. And people loved that movie. But like this movie, for I I think it's because of the star power behind it. I think like people going to this movie with Chevy Chase and Dan Edgar and John Candy expected one movie... Got something they did not expect, and instead of embracing something new, just was like, no, fuck this. This is not the Saturday Night Live SCTV movie I was hoping it was going to be. This movie is dark and strange, and I don't want it. Oh, can we just talk about, there's one aspect of the plot. So the, the this judge that Dan Aykroyd plays, he, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but before he's revealed, he's behind some books and he's doing a pretty flat-out W.C. Fields impression. Okay, Dennis, give me their licenses, ID, toll tickets, report cards, notes from the teacher. There you go, Judge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is just a, one of those things where Dan Aykroyd is playing a sort of a, like a little sophisticated game. It's like going to see a jazz performer, and right before they start going off on 
whatever they're going to do. They just play a little lick of something that if you like what they're about to do, you're going to get that they're saying, oh, yeah, I dig this, too. And this judge who's the he's the villain, the monster, the evil one in this is actually the hero. And Chevy Chase and his coked out friends, because that's what they all are. They're in a coke. They yeah, just they're yeah. coming in on a coke trip. They're rich. They're. <laughs> I mean, they are the villains. The heroes of this piece are the villains, <laughs> and the whole movie treats them like they're the villains. And because they're the stars, we like them. But the hero of this movie is the judge who is punishing all of these corrupt people up to a point, and then yeah, the only ones that he spares are this these hip-hop musicians who come in <laughs> and you think that the move for a second you, th- you think this movie's going to go in this ugly racist direction because you've just seen them like chow down on all these people and you're used to seeing movies be racist and treat these kind of people poorly and instead the movie is like the way you'd expect the guy who created the Blues Brothers to be, be like, nope, you're with well, God. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, because like it starts with Chevy Chase showing up and he's instantly just so rude to John Candy and so rude to Dan Aykroyd's character. And like he tries to outrun the cops and he's like, oh, I'm in yeah, my but, fancy no, no, car. But, 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 I can go too fast. <laughs> no, and, but he's not. And, and, it's because Fausto, it's because Fausto, that's why he makes a deal with the devil. It's not just that he's... Yeah. A, it's like there's this like, woman go faster. <laughs> it really you got to look at it as the unit of like the Fausto and the Cokeville and this pretty woman yeah. taking him on this adventure and he's led by his dick and yeah. coke and the devil to this like yeah like that's some brilliant fucking writing Dan Aykroyd and you're like skewering your life and the people you know like you really like write what you know. This is how this movie starts. <laughs> and but I Chevy really Chase say, is he, rude and awful and he asks, is, for, but asks for the punishment that he gets. The movie sets him up as I mean it's it's Faust, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it sets it sets him up in this Faust way that so he's kind of the hero, but they're all well they're not all kind of because the Brazilians kind of get out of it okay. They skate they skate pretty nicely. Again, they're the de- like in this movie, they're the devils who encourage him to do like they're really forcing him to go. <laughs> and what I love, this is yeah. where they this is where Aykroyd really understands how to use Chevy Chase, because in that moment, first of all, we're inclined to hate him, which I like it like it makes sense that you're looking like the way you see it is like he's this asshole who does all this stuff. <laughs> That's because we think that of Chevy Chase. But the wonderful thing in this, and this is why I do feel like sometimes people don't really underestimate how, at his best, Chevy Chase does the thing that Cary Grant did that nobody can do, which is to just underplay a scene in a way that is like, that, I know, just makes the whole thing work. Like, yeah. there's this whole cacophony of stuff going on around him. And the way he's just like, Okay. <laughs> it's just the the just not just not giving a shit. That's why I don't like the like the Fletch movies. Like when he's trying, I just I don't it doesn't work. When he's being the funny guy, it doesn't work. But when he's being the sort of understated, I don't take any of this seriously guy, 
and just going along with complete and utter madness that it, like the National Lampoon <laughs> style madness that Michael O'Donohue. Yeah. Like he's the perfect yeah. fall guy for a Michael O'Donohue joke because something terrible happens and he's like, oh, well, of course. Well, of course. Well, that's what that's what happens when you <laughs> play through, you know, like there's something about him that is just uh, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not trying to argue with. Yes, he is. He does all this terrible stuff. But that's what I love about him in this movie is because anyone else would play it as a as if they were a jerk. And he plays it as if, well, this is what's written. Like, I don't know. There's a, like he really just goes along with the joke in this way that is so wonderful. I'm sorry. I got to go on this rant for Chevy Chase. I did not think that's where this day was going to go. You never wake up and think I'm going to go on a rant about defend Chevy Chase. Celebrate, yeah, celebrating Chevy Chase. But here I am. I've, I love Chevy Chase. I always have. I had a gerbil when I was a kid that I named Chevy Chase because I was obsessed with him. Uh, and he's great. I love the idea of, it's why I also love John Ritter is it's like, I love the really, really handsome guy who does great slapstick and does like, like Chevy Chase is like, he's a handsome guy. Like he's a traditionally handsome dude and seeing him get silly or get weird and like, but still have this, it's interesting because he has the dryness, Like he's almost like a Martin and Lewis as one person. Like he has this handsome and this dry humor, but then like the scene in this movie when he has his weird nightmare and he's just kind of saying gibberish, mm-hmm. like that's classic Chevy Chase too. And I love that sort of like he's sexy, but he's not afraid to like also get a little silly. And he's just he's perfect in this movie. Like it's this this isn't another bad Chevy Chase movie. This maybe is the last great Chevy Chase movie. Oh yeah, I don't know. Well yeah, I, we could look it up. Maybe there's uh, what are the great ones for you? For me, I mean, he's brilliant in Caddyshack. Everyone is. Like, that's just great. I'm a big fan of the National Lampoon Vacation movies. Actually, I think Vegas Vacation was after this, so that would be the last great Chevy Chase movie. But, like, those are good. I uh, really love... What's the one with Charles Grodin? Um, It's like... I forget what that movie's called. That movie's really good, whatever that movie's called. (laughs) with him and Charles Grodin and he's hiding under the bed and uh, oh yeah one, too close one's... it's not it's like one to call it it's the one that's not foul play with seems seems like old times is that it yeah that movie that's a great that's a great Chevy Chase movie like hit too and with Charles Grodin uh, but yeah. like I've been I'm a big enough fan that I also love funny farm and fletch lives and like all the other ones and nobody likes like i i like caddyshack too nobody else likes caddyshack too i like caddyshack too like i think i've always been a big champion chase fan like i think he's very very funny very very great um when i was a kid i wanted to be chevy chase when i was a child like he was like my you know i idolized him and he's great in this and like for people just to kind of brush it off as like oh he's just phoning it in no, nobody is. Like, this movie is a good comedy, well-made, well-acted. Wait, Three Amigos. He's great, and Three Amigos oh, is a great... Oh, that movie's... Of course, Chevy yeah. Chase that movie's comedy. great, too. It's a good... That's, that's a good, great, great for all of them. That's great for all of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, have you heard that John Hamm is doing Fletch? Oh, I could see that work. Yeah, it's going to be so much better. John Hamm is Do you, already... Are you a fan of the books? Yeah, the books. I, I, yeah. I read all the books, and... 
he's a great character. And actually, Chev, that's the thing. It's so crazy. I don't know why they went with all the uh, the costumes and stuff because Chevy Chase <laughs> is already Fletch. He's a handsome, yeah. funny guy who you who everyone in his environment hates. And then yeah. he just is a good detective and he gets away with stuff. But he goes around like just like getting drunk and having sex with people he shouldn't and people all yeah. know that that's who he is and he's just an un like a like an unreliable person but a great yeah. detective and you like John yeah. John Hamm's going to kill that it's just, but yeah. Chevy oh, Chase could have killed it like it's just in that time if someone had just if only Dan Aykroyd had directed <laughs> well, <laughs> right well it could still happen honestly you know? if uh, if he had directed I'd love to see Dan Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd make a movie that's just the first third of this movie stretched out into one whole movie. Just <laughs> Chevy, Chevy Chase and Demi Moore at that time in the car with Taylor Negron and who's the actress? She went on. It was one of her first uh, things, but she went on to a pretty extensive career acting in. I'm going to say it wrong. Bertila da- Damas, <laughs> I think. Bertila Damas? I don't know. I think that's right. Yeah, but yeah, it's and so anyways, I was, we got sidetracked here. So I'm setting up like so we saw Chevy Chase kind of be rude to the judge. Then we have Daniel Baldwin show up as like the perfect sort of like New Jersey Sopranos type, you know, like asshole, <laughs> East Coast asshole with his friend. And he's definitely coked up. <laughs> Like, he is doing drugs. There are other nefarious things. And then he is extra arrogant to the judge. And we see the punishment that is bestowed upon people in this town, which is there's a conveyor belt that takes them outside. Heavy heavy metal music plays. And this is all done with buttons that the judge pushes. They that are like an organ. They're the, he's basically, his judge is, has an organ. He plays an organ. Oh, and by the way, we forgot to mention, the movie begins with Ray Charles... Over the Twin Towers, lots of beautiful shots of the Twin Towers. But there's something about Ray Charles and the organ and Dan Aykroyd in this mm-hmm. that yeah. is somehow uh, yeah. all mixed up. And there's a reason that Ray Charles's music is at the beginning, and that as a judge, yeah. he's pulling these core, he's pulling these stops <laughs> on an organ that start this death machine. It's just. <laughs> And the machine's called Mr. Bone Stripper is what it says on this roller coaster. And these people like are on this roller coaster and then basically it ejects them onto this conveyor belt where they get pulverized and ground up and their bones spat out in a pile of giant bones. And this is sort of when the movie shifts where you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is not just like some Chevy Chase comedy. This is like some weird horror thing. It's like, honestly, it just at this point, it's sort of like, uh, that's when I was like, oh, this is just like another, like, it's going into that Spielberg, Zemeckis, Goonies place that movies of this time (laughs) go into, which is like, oh, now we're on a, like, uh, some amusement park ride. Uh, Okay. (laughs) But this one is evil and wonderful (laughs) and scary and very Monty Python-esque, actually, I thought. Yeah, yeah. And did you did you get like I guess you're not a horror guy so maybe you can't speak to this but like I really feel that this is the movie Rob Zombie wishes he had made over and over again for every movie that he tries to make is just a shameless knockoff of nothing but trouble 
Like if you've seen House of a Thousand Corpses or Devil's Rejects, like he has this sort of like evil carnival atmosphere. Like the baby, like when they fall into the vat of like all the baby doll heads and stuff. Like it feels so the type of imagery that Rob Zombie has tried to do, but not as good as Dan Aykroyd did for with one movie. Like I feel like Rob Zombie has this movie on an altar in his house. He's like, I wish someday I can make a movie as good like nothing but trouble again with Dan Aykroyd the music there is a sense of him whether you like it or not he has a very strong and specific relationship to music in not well in Blues Brothers and in this but there are music scenes in Neighbors or in uh Dr. Detroit that you think probably came from him influencing it as the star. Yeah. So yeah. there's, yeah, the, the music cues, like when it goes to that heavy metal music cue, it's a little bit more on a nerve. It, it's weird. It's like cliche, like the alarm bells go off. Oh, here comes a cliche. But then yeah. he turns it up enough. You know, it's just like when a, a guy goes <laughs> to play a, a guitar solo and you're like, oh, a guitar solo. And then you're like, oh, wait a second. No. This is really, this is when, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm buying this guitar solo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's clearly a person who's always been interested in interesting music and not just, uh, you know, it's, it's like, even just like the usage of like the bluegrass music when the, when the, the judge is doing like, when it's like the Wabash cannonball or whatever, when the, when the train's driving around, like just weird little touches Ooh, like yeah. that. And uh, and it just makes it creepier and kind of this weird, this weird, like when they drive into the town and there's like music playing when they're driving into Vul like the Vulcanvania, mm -hmm. it's just sort of an odd, it just kind of adds to the creepiness and the environment of it. And it's like all very smart choices. And none of it just feels like, oh, he just like got a record deal to put out some hit music. Even when the digital underground shows up, that must have been 100% his choice. Like, I don't think the studio said, hey, Dan Aykroyd, how can you shoehorn the digital underground into your weird horror comedy? Like, he seems like the type of guy that was like, I like that band. I like that rap band where the guy has the big fake nose. They're going to be in my movie. And not only are they going to be in my movie, they're the only people that my character is going to save. I'm going to think they're all right, that they're not assholes, that they're the good people that I'm going to let them just pay a little fine and leave. And <laughs> I bet it really it, it totally great. shifts the morality of this film in a way like it honestly sells yeah. it. So there's this scene where they where Demi Moore and Chevy Chase discover this wall of cl newspaper clippings about people who have been killed and then their IDs mm -hmm. with them. And yeah. they're all targets. It's almost like there's a movie what what's there's what's the movie with Charlie's Theron that was like a like an immortals or it's some series that came out recently the old guard that is basically the big reveal is that there are these heroes who throughout time have been stopping the greatest criminals and helping people behind the scenes by taking out like potential hitlers <laughs> and that's basically this what what this guy is doing, what this judge is doing is revealed. And yeah, uh, to me, that was this great. Uh, it's the thing that I feel like if Michael, it's really playing to the Michael O'Donohue. It's like, 
when you reveal well into your movie that your heroes, no matter how attractive they are, are villains. And the monster that you set up as the frightening thing is actually the superhero of this movie. And <laughs> yeah, that's the turn that I was like, that totally, that's after the hot dog eating scene. That's what won me back. It was like, okay, yeah, you're grossing me out and that's your own cinematic kink. That's like Tarantino and his feet and whatever, you know, <laughs> Hitchcock and his just general misogyny and weird abuse of blonde women with certain haircuts. I, like, it's all these things that you have to sort of accept if you like a filmmaker. And if they're good, they're yes. going to sneak in these little personal things that they just need to see on film. And it's like, I'll take if I get this other thing, which is that massive turn that you never see in films where your heroes really realize and maybe they don't even realize we have to realize that they're the villains and then compare <laughs> them to the digital underground. I'm bringing this point back around. You compare them to the digital underground and you're like, well, yeah, definitely. We chose them. We chose the like the world chose the digital underground over Chevy Chase and Demi Moore. Very clearly. <laughs> and this movie is doing yeah. that and you hate it. I don't, it's like. <laughs> and, the, and the story ends up being really sad about the town where it's like this a town was taken advantage of by bankers yep. a long time ago that depleted their land and like just ruined it by putting all these like for, for mining yeah. purposes. It's like, a punk rock. Ruined the environment. Yes. Like their environment is crumbling because of it where it's literally melting into the ground because of like some weird version of fracking for coal mining basically is what it seemed like where they just took too much underneath and it's just sort of like falling apart. Yeah, and this so is Maitwan. No wonder he doesn't like this. And then here comes Chevy Chase as this arrogant financial publisher. And Dan Aykroyd's judge character is like, you're a fucking banker. You're, you ruined my town. I'm going to keep you here now and make your life really hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, if, imagine if they had done that in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If, like, halfway through you realized that Leatherface is the good guy. And there's actually a really solid reason as to why him and his family are killing all these teenagers. Like that's an interesting way to kind of make a horror movie for sure. Um, it's a it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a hard thing to do, and I think Dan Aykroyd totally pulls it off here. Like I like you definitely sort of feel for these people by the end of the movie. Like they're still terrifying and weird, but like you definitely are like oh well, but they're not totally in the wrong completely <laughs> i have to i have to admit to something sure i might cut this out because it might be too embarrassing i've never seen the uh texas chainsaw massacre well but you're too scared you wouldn't be able to handle that movie i saw the Your little I saw, sensitive heart would die like you can handle that i saw the chainsaw scene movie. in scarface and i was like you know what there's a chainsaw and i'm not sure if i want to watch it <laughs> it's it's an upsetting movie like it is it's like a snuff film it's like it still is upsetting like now 50 years later however long it's been since that movie came out like that is still a dark movie and they tried to make a comedic sequel of part two which I think works. And this movie definitely feels sort of, you know, like a neighbor to that movie. It feels sort of like there's a kinship to like between Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and Nothing But Trouble. And also I think Nothing But Trouble also kind of reminds me a little bit of Haunted Honeymoon, the only one of the only movies that Gene Wilder 
or maybe the only movie Jen Wilder directed. You've seen that? Have you ever seen Haunted Honeymoon? No, that maybe also I has Dom DeLuise in drag, and he's kind of reminds me of John Candy's in drag. Maybe I this. have seen it. And uh, yeah, and it's, it's another like time. weird kind of gross th- yeah, thing. But yeah, I, I just really like love how nothing but trouble goes for it, where you think it couldn't get any weirder, and then these two giant sweaty babies show up like literally these ginormous babies little devil little devil little devil the name little <laughs> little devil is the scariest thing and also the most like it's oh the the scene the scene where demi moore plays cards with bobo and little devil is oh, is so wonderful <laughs> It's really, it's, it's, I, well, I'm definitely going to grab that clip for the Instagram because, because it's creepy, it's adorable and it's everything. They're, they're giant babies. They're not people that look like giant babies. I think they are supposed to be giant babies because they have the little curly top hair, Like they kind of act and look like baby Huey a little bit. And it's, and they're obsessed, they're obsessed with breakfast cereal and it's such an odd thing to drop in the middle of any movie oh, like well, it's, like it's like terry gilliam, gilliam, like it, like it, right it's like terry yeah gilliam. It, it's, that's super gilliam it's gross it's gross absurdist it's like i don't know if he was like on paper if the producers thought oh this is like sloth and goonies like oh this is like some like some weird version of mask or something where this is like your lovable deformed guy that the people fall in love with but instead it's like done for this intense kind of cartoonish grotesque like these aren't just deformed guys. They're literally giant babies. Like, they're wearing diapers. <laughs> they are, it's, it is the one of the weirdest things in any movie I've ever seen. It's amazing. And it's Dan Aykroyd again. So it's him playing two roles in a movie he's oh, written and directed. Like, that's a lot of work. Wait a second. And let's just make, let's be clear. It's not just, so Dan Aykroyd plays Bobo, but Lil yeah. Devil. <laughs> is played by an actor named John DeVacus. He's in two movies. In 1991, he plays Little Devil in Nothing But Trouble. <laughs> and in 1985, he plays a Russian border guard in Spies Like Us. I imagine so between 1985 <laughs> and 1991, they want a lot of road trips like the beginning of this movie, is what I'm thinking. The other thing is, but it starts out even earlier. It starts out even earlier. He started out as a hardware consultant on Ghostbusters in 1984. I feel like how weird. I want so a something movie connected. about this guy, <laughs> the guy. And what did he do between? Like, but it's weird. It's like you. That's all you do. So like you're not doing hardware on other movies, and you're not, at, and you're, you're only in little parts in a Dan Aykroyd. I think he's a thing. drug dealer. I think he's a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he's a Harvard professor <laughs> who just loves cinema so much that he had to be a part I of think, three great. I think movies. he's a friend of Dan Aykroyd's who needs to be on the set. For <laughs> like. This yeah. definitely kind of feels a little coke field for sure. Like it definitely has well, that kind of oh, like yeah. that movie that you watch and you're like, what substances were like? And it, I'm not. It's like it's not just saying it's trippy. It, it really is like it's bizarre. And the choices sometimes are the wrong choices, but that makes them the right choices. Like this scene where there's that room of just that giant pile of bat shit. That's so like who thinks of that? That's so weird. That's so. St- gross and strange it's just 
And I, I and or the ending. The ending is so not like the rest of the movie at all. The last shot. Oh, is, well, that's yeah. Like, it's let's like I'm gonna spoil to. it. Let's spoil it. Like we'll go back, but like it literally ends with a Daffy Duck joke. Is that's how this movie ends? It's a Daffy Duck like a Looney Tunes joke. There's no other joke in the movie like that, and that's how this movie finishes. That's the the end of the movie is Chevy Chase doing a Daffy Duck bit. The end. <laughs> like it's Chevy Chase does doesn't uh, uh, the Daffy Duck bit. <laughs> And then we cut back to Dan Aykroyd's face and the penis shot, like the the end oh, of Boogie right. Nights shot, where right. that is going yeah. to be the shot that we the use. The last thing you see. For, no, for on the website for this. That's the shot yeah. I'm going to use for this episode. Yeah. This is the last shot of the director of this movie in this movie is him with a dick on his face. That's bold. That is bold choices. That's what this movie does. This movie makes bold steps <laughs> to make, and it's sad. It's like it's a sad penis. It's not an attra- It's not no, it's t- an attractive <laughs> penis. It's not one that that. It's not like he's trying. He's showing off anything. He's saying, "I, I love it." He's saying, "I am like we as humanity are disgusting, <laughs> and our heroes are even more disgust like." It's it's such a it really is a punk rock yeah. statement and yeah. the things that I don't like about what's weird is that the things I don't like about it are the things that are present in these movies that other people love that I don't really like yeah but this other thing that feels like there's a lot of stuff that feels like a Terry Gilliam movie in this and but like Terry Gilliam sometimes like that again that opening the first third of this movie is like if imagine it's like fear and loathing part two <laughs> when they're yuppies now when they when they've gotten a little older yeah. and made money they've become yuppies and this is the road trip this is the drug fueled road trip they go on <laughs> but the thing is that dan Aykroyd hung out with hunter s thompson was when hunter s thompson was still kind of a nobody and dan Aykroyd was the guy that hunter s thompson was also emulating like, it, like there's like a symbiosis. Like, it's not like, like with Terry Gilliam, he's channeling Hunter S. Thompson. With When Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray engage in Hunter Thompson stuff, it's like, it's like, if, it's like how Dan Aykroyd knows how to make a great Chevy Chase movie. Yeah. Because they've all hung out and seen each other's best and worst. Yeah. And Aykroyd isn't impressed, but he also isn't caught up in the hater thing either. He's like. There's a, I'm sure Aykroyd, of course, you've seen this movie. It's like, he's, there's a reason that Chevy Chase is Chevy Chase. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, which I think people forget. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's just sort of like, I love it. This, I like that sort of like true kind of an, like anarchy that came out of like that original SNL, like that kind of comedy, mm-hmm. that kind of wild, like when it really gets into a good place of like kind of taking down the rich and having this sort of you know anarchy to it, and this yeah punk rockness to it. There's definitely neighbors that definitely is in the Blues Brothers sort of oh, like yeah. this anti-establishment sort of like thing that I think is like sadly lacking in comedies now because everybody just wants to be rich now. <laughs> but like that 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 like this movie still has that. It's still like it's a it's in the '90s, but it still has that kind of like 
fuck these rich people <laughs> sort of thing, but in a different way. Cause like, it's like, like it's not like in animal house where you, you really know that the rich are the villains and the poor slobby guys are the heroes. And this one you're, yeah, the rich are kind of introduced as the heroes, which I think is definitely a kind of like a post Reagan thing. Like that's a weird like event by the nineties. Everybody wanted to start making lots of money. Even a lot of the hippies sold out and became yuppies. So like, it's an interesting how this movie kind of plays with that. Like, I really like that. <laughs> and like, could you imagine if this movie was liked, and I don't think there's a world where it can be, because uh, it's just too good. Like, what other things could Dan Aykroyd have been allowed? Like, this is like that rare treat where an artist is kind of allowed to kind of unleash everything in their mind. And like, it's so rare that you get that from a, like when an artist is really allowed the freedom to just like go crazy and just kind of dump it all out. And I just wonder, like, if this had been a hit, what kind of, like, would this have, like, would he have directed more things? What, where, where would it have gone? Would he have made a movie that people hated more than this? Would he, would he have really gone down the rails, off the rails into a different crazy place? I don't know. I think it's kind of special that it is just a one-off. It's like a Charles Lawton, Night of the Hunter sort of thing, where it's like, well, does it always wonder what more there could have been? It does. Well, yes. And I think it makes us realize if this is his vision, it makes you have to rethink films like definitely Neighbors Mm -hmm. and potentially Dr. Detroit, which I need to go back and Which is really weird. Like on paper, it seems like it's not, but just like the choices, like his, when his movies are good, like when the Dan Aykroyd movies really click, it must be like his influence or must be something that he's bringing to it that like really like just kind of puts it like, and it's definitely the movies that he writes. And I'm a big fan of all of the, every movie that he wrote is great. All of them. Like Dragnet is great. That movie's really weird. I mean, literally he goes punk in that, like he gets a mohawk in that movie. Uh, Coneheads seems on paper, like that's going to be just some normal SNL skit turned into a movie. That movie gets really strange. And the grossly underrated Blues Brothers 2000 has some of the weirdest shit in it and some in- very interesting things. Like he, I want him to, I wish he wrote more than like five movies. Like he, there's something very fascinating about the thing, the way he thinks about comedy and just sort of the weird little pockets that, that he gets obsessed with. Like there's something there that, like you said, they can tap into with a gross point blank, but I wish more people would kind of take advantage of it still now, like as as he's an older man. Like I want him to, like I want him to show up in the new Ghostbusters and just like take that movie for a crazy ride. But I sadly don't think that's going to happen. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. The things that I like in this are the things, like if this film had become a hit, it's sort of like Ghostbusters the things that you can recreate about a film like Ghostbusters are not the things that I like about it. Yeah. It's like the, it's like this. What I love is the tossed off joke aspect. What I don't <laughs> love is the $150 million <laughs> dollar budget movie built around this weird joke of like, how can we make this odd movie? <laughs> you can sort of pull that trick once. Yeah. You know, and the thing that I, the thing that I marvel at is like, why the best parts of this movie are things that you don't need a big budget to do, which is weird. Like 
honestly, think of all the great Chevy Chase movies we could have had with Chevy Chase just driving around and blithely doing what, what Taylor Negron tell tells him to do. It is like, yeah, that should be a hundred like, movies. That... Just Taylor Negron right. in the back like, seat, like... just being like, okay, now don't be a pussy. Go a hundred yeah. miles an hour. Yeah. You're like, okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it, exactly. and it plays into that great thing that Chevy Chase does in the National Lampoon's movies, where it's like he can't be told, like he 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 get he can't back down from a thing, like he doesn't want to be ever considered a chicken. So it's like if someone's like dares him, or and definitely if they double dare him, he's got to do it. He's got to be like, oh well, I can't show a weakness to this person. So yes, I will go off road, and yes, I will try to outrun this cop, and I will try to like do all these things because I can't look weak in front of these people. And then he just gets in way over his head, and then no one's there to help him out when that happens. Like, like, like Fausto is like, well, you know, they, they kind of abandon them. You know, they don't really help them. And the two, uh, of the, it's not just Fausto. It's Fausto and his wife. The combination. Like, I love well, that the devil. The devil is this two. Is, the devil uh, is a is a is a car on Coke Road with two, this Brazilian couple saying, come on, you invited us to, to a party and you won't even take us where you're, take, you're taking us. Like it, and they brought this like weird so... decadent food to eat in the car and it just gets so weird. And he's shaving. It's, it has this real Marx Brothers, like the true, like it does get closer to that Marx Brothers anarchy than a lot of things. And it's because part of it is Chevy Chase as a weird kind of handsome Groucho <laughs> that is just slightly moving at a different vibration than the madness around him. And in this, I mean, Demi Moore is so, she's like, she's doing great in these. She's driving this chaos or playing <laughs> into the chaos in some really awesome ways. I love her as an agent of chaos in this. Like they dress her insanely. I can see why that would be annoying. There's a lot of whatever. There's problematic stuff of that era, but mostly like she's awesome. There's a stunt she does where she fall, comes down this chute and lands on her <laughs> face. And I, I went back over it like three or four times and I swear that's her because she doesn't look afterwards. And it's just sort of like, uh, if it's a if it's a stunt person, that's amazing because this is pre. There's no they didn't CGI anything in this movie. This is all that uh, grinder is as practical effect as you could get. And yeah, her weird sort of like push up bra, tight outfit thing is sort of like a sad, problematic early '90s you know sex object thing. But as soon as she gets her jacket, she throws it on. I love that. It's like she goes and gets to the car. The first thing she does, is like finally, I have a jacket I can put on. But I do appreciate this... that she isn't like. The running around screaming and peril lady like really oh yeah in the movie chevy chase is the one who's panicking and she's sort of like the no i got this covered don't worry like we'll, we'll figure this out like hey like i got the she's the tough one you know like she's she's the bud abbott he's the lou costello you know like and she's she's playing the straight man basically in the in this movie to the the comedy of all these other people and doing a great job at it um, it's a very Jamie. If you, it, would, it would be of the era, she's definitely doing the Jamie Lee Curtis and Fish yeah. Called Wanda thing. Yes, where she's cast. You think she's going to be one kind of character, and she like it's again. It's a the Monty. There's a. I feel like there is a Monty Python conversation going on here too, because comedically, Michael O'Donoghue, Monty Python. And Dan Aykroyd are all in one sort of cultural soup. For sure, yeah. And 
that's the audience that this is playing to. That audience does really just doesn't exist. I mean, National Lampoon, that aesthetic, where did it... I mean, like you're saying, the Farrelly brothers. <laughs> but the Farrelly brothers are a very weak... That's one, that's one of the reasons I've never really liked the Farrelly brothers. I We talked about it on the Oscars episode. I don't know if that's one of the things that got cut out. Uh, but... Yeah, I've never really loved the Farrelly Brothers, and I think it's because I love this stuff. It, it's missing. It's the, there's a way that this stuff is more heartwarming because it's willing to be really have a really take a stand and be cruel and punch up. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, is this, is this sort of like the Heaven's Gate of comedies? Is this sort of like the end of the era of <laughs> this movie went too far, and this is the end of the era of all these people? you know, making the things that they wanted in the way that they did in this kind of comedy. Because, yeah, now once we get into the mid to late 90s, it's fairly brothers and kind of more of that, you know, that kind of comedy is the comedies that people want. Um, and this sort of comedy is not, not what anyone wanted at the time, I guess. Would it have worked if it weren't Chevy Chase and Demi Moore who have a certain level of maybe earned or maybe not earned hostility towards them at the box office? It's like it was just the casting didn't quite work because people love Dan Aykroyd. That's what's confusing to me is like people think Dan Aykroyd's really cool. And yeah. this movie is like um, if you if that skull vodka were a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I. I hope that people are starting to like this movie more again. Like, I think this is definitely a movie that is yet to be fully rediscovered. Like, there's definitely, like, little whispers of it. There was another podcast a few months ago that uh, my friend Josh Lunchmeat was on, and he they talked about nothing but trouble. And so that's definitely... Well, of course, like, with a name like Lunchmeat, he's going to love <laughs> this movie. The, people, the, but, like, he... Like he appreciates this movie and like and like it makes sense. Like there's people of my age that are starting and like the same people that appreciate like nineteen forty one now, where it's like we're looking back and be like, No, 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 like there is something really good here and yes, maybe it's a little loud and yes, it's definitely bizarre, but there's something going on here that's interesting that people have poo pooed and have th- are just completely thrown in the trash and just walked away. And I hope that like I would love to see like a uh, fancy shout factory nothing but trouble blu-ray with like dan Aykroyd commentary and you bring back the footage that was cut out and like a true reappraisal because i have a feeling dan Aykroyd is probably like sad saddened by this movie by the way he was treated afterwards like there's rumors that he like wrote a public of apology to everyone made the movie apologizing for making a movie that everyone hated and just kind of this sad this kind of sad thing or like chevy chase i guess was very vocally like what a mistake that was. Oh, I'm so sorry. That movie was terrible, you know, afterwards. And it's just sort of like, just, that, you know, just, and that happens. Like people like to cover their ass after they have a movie that tanks. And if the movie did well, they would say it was great, you know? Um, but it's just, I wish, I really want this movie to be like really, truly appreciated in 2021 and beyond. And so do your dogs. <laughs> I love that Dan Aykroyd's one movie isn't boring. Yeah. And if everyone, if the only movie he made is one that everyone hates, you're right. You're totally on the money to compare it to Lawton's <laughs> one film. Uh, because Night of the Hunter, if you had said to people 10 years after that it was great, they would have just heard a bunch of people making fun of it. Because honestly, well, at the time, there was like a lot of reasons that people were looking to make fun of Ch- Charles Lawton. And 
now there's a lot of people looking to make fun of uh, Chevy Chase. Yeah. Once they're all dead, you know, you re- <laughs> you reappraise them and you're like, you know what? Chevy Chase is like, why are we even, no one even talks about the bad, the Chevy Chase TV show anymore. He had a TV yeah. show. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I wish I had a TV show, but I love Caddyshack. And <laughs> if you love Caddyshack, good God, watch the first, imagine the scenes in Caddyshack that he has with the actress in that, the sort of quasi romantic scenes mm-hmm. that are weirdly creepy and 70s sexy at the piano and all that Mm -hmm. imagine those but with fucking demi moore in a in a car with taylor negron yelling at him (laughs) it's it's like if you like caddyshack you have to love the first half first half hour of this movie yeah you know it's i feel like you have to it's i insist you you must (laughs) well you're not allowed not to. I am the judge. I have now become the <laughs> d- the judge that Dan Aykroyd plays. And if you do not enjoy the first, if you claim to like Caddyshack and you do not like the first third of this movie, you go through the human grinder. <laughs> the world is wrong. You're up. wrong. This, I think that judge should be like on our poster or something. Maybe because he sort of is like the a world is wrong icon. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Great movie. Well, I'm so I'm so happy that you liked it because it definitely was like I was so it, the worried. chances were more in the odds that you would would have hated it because that's like most oh yeah like this was not a movie I could recommend to people at the video store because the reactions were pretty <laughs> usually sort of like no no this is not not for me like AJ when he heard that we were doing this my my co-host. He was not happy. He was not happy that we were doing this movie. He's like, I don't like that movie at all. <laughs> I, I, I'll admit, I, I understand it's not for everybody. I don't. But shouldn't it be? Thing, like, <laughs> it, just because it's not for like, should it be for? It's everybody? not for everybody. But if you like Dan Aykroyd, if you like Michael, if you like that vein of humor, yeah. Like, if this was a British movie directed by Terry Gilliam or Terry Jones and it starred Michael Palin and John yeah. Cleese. Like, if this was about John yes. Cleese as a Chevy Chase character and Eric Idle's an old yeah. man makeup and it was a Monty Python movie, people would have loved yep. it. And it, you wouldn't have to change anything. And it's like, gets as gross as, like, Meaning of Life or whatever and as satirical yeah. as any of, of the other stuff. That meat grinder is a fucking Terry Gilliam animation brought to life. <laughs> In a dumb, it really is. Spielberg kind of way. Yeah, and it's like why it's that it's actually cleaner. It's like less gory when the they just came out as bones. Yeah, it's like that's actually generous. Like I don't know why. <laughs> the, and no one like yeah, he eats a hot dog. Gross. <laughs> if this it's, if this was Terry Gilliam's movie, if he made this before like the Fisher King, if he went from Baron Munchausen to this, this movie would be on fucking Criterion Collection right now. Like really, like it really would. Like this would be a movie that, like, people now have embraced. Like Tideland, the the movie is that what it's called, right? Yeah, yeah. People yeah, really yeah. like that movie now. When it came out, people really hated it, and now, like, only less than twenty years later, special edition Blu-ray, people love it. That needs to fucking happen with nothing but trouble. Just pretend it's a Terry Gilliam movie, film snobs, and just watch it as if it was that, and you'll be like, oh, that movie's a masterpiece. Oh, that movie's great. Um, I, f- I feel like I, my goal, I want to find John DeVacus, the one who plays Little, little Devil. Little Devil. I, 
I, think I that's need a to gr- talk to Little Devil. That's I a feel great like he is idea. the one. Yeah. Nobody has talked. Where is the expose? Where is the biopic for yeah. Little Devil? Little Devil. <laughs> Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tig Notaro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8-Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Hey, babies, it is me, the self-appointed commissioner of comedy, James Matter. I just want to tell you that every week I'll be wherever you listen to podcasts with my show, The Commissioner of Comedy. I've been doing this, babies, for almost 20 years, grinding up and down, and I'm here to convey it to you about the do's and don'ts of the comedy scene, the proper etiquette, the unwritten rules, if you will. Whether you're just a fan or you're a young buck starting out, a grizzled old vet, or just someone who wants to peek behind the curtain and see how the sausage gets made, tune into the podcast, The Commissioner of comedy this is what it's about it's only on paper house network and it's for you babies it's for you dear listener if you are just discovering our podcast you can find all of our episodes on our website at the world is wrong you can also write to us at contact at the world is wrong or follow us on instagram at the world is wrong podcast and now Back to the show. Okay, so, Brian, you and I both have other podcasts besides this fantastic one that we call The World is Wrong. You host a podcast called The Director's Wall with AJ Gonzalez, who our listeners have gotten to know pretty well. Right now, you're looking at the filmography, the complete filmography of Francis Ford Coppola. Some of us call him Franny Ford. (laughs) franny ford co yeah uh Um, so what what film are you are you currently up to i i asked uh, as if i didn't already know uh we just released peggy sue got married which will have now been out for a few weeks when this episode comes out but uh it's i'm really excited to have done that one that's maybe the first couple movie i ever saw because it was on hbo when i was like seven and uh yeah, no, it's good. And sadly, it's the final film he did with his little nephew, Nicholas, Nicholas Cage. Um, but yeah, it's uh, check it out. It's it's a good one. Can you imagine swapping out the casts from Nothing But Trouble and Peggy Sue Got Married? <laughs> so you got Peggy Sue Got Married with Demi Moore as Peggy yeah. Sue yeah. and Chevy Chase as the husband. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I don't know, Dan Aykroyd as the this soulful James Dean guy, except in the makeup <laughs> yeah. from nothing but trouble. Uh, and then you'd have uh, Nicholas Cage could be driving in the, in the Coke car <laughs> with Fausto and Carmona. Yeah, no, that totally works. <laughs> 
You can have the nerd played by Lil Devil, like in Peggy Sue Got Married, like have the like, famous inventor be a giant baby. Digital Underground could play at the high school dance. <laughs> I think we're on to something here. He's just, he's... No, it's it's a good it's a really good episode. I actually I'm I was uh, I was just in the middle of listening to it before we started recording this, and I had I, I had all kinds of thoughts. Like as with almost every one of your episodes, is there's a point where I'm, I'm wishing that I was in the room, and I could uh, toss in my two cents. But then eventually one of you says what I was going to say anyway, so it's all it's all it's all wonderful. <laughs> Uh, So I know you're going to ask me about Radio 8 Ball. I don't know what to say about Radio 8 Ball, man. It's we're I'm stalled at episode six six six. It's it's not a good feeling. I want to do episode six six seven, but I just can't think of a question that I am uh, not terrified to know the answer to. So, (laughs) well, look within, and maybe something will come to you. Maybe or maybe if you can get the right guest for the next one. Maybe they will help you form a good question that isn't an all, an upsetting one. I don't know. I've had some great guests in the in the past. You know, I don't know what would what who would really get me excited as a guest. Uh, I don't know. Like who's left? Uh, I you know if Francis Ford Coppola wanted to ask a question to the Pop <laughs> Oracle, I'd be curious to know. It's you know I just feel like most people don't really even I and I'm I'm kind of a. I don't want to say that I'm a truth-seeking missile, but I, I tend to I, t- I tend to get hung up on on big truths, which can you know is a, is a, is a kind of a form of neurosis because mostly <laughs> in life it's the small truths that that really matter. Um, yeah. But yeah, but even I I just find it it's it's when you ask a question of the pop oracle you really get a whole and complete gestalt of an answer and sort of just much much like peggy sue and peggy sue got married maybe you don't really want to (laughs) know where your life's gonna go that's how i am i like to i don't want to know i don't want to know when i'm gonna die i don't want to know all the answers i think it's better i like i like a life of mystery and adventure I'm sure I'll get inspired to do Radio 8 Ball again at some point. But in the meantime, as I said, there's 666 individual podcasts. Uh, people can, or uh, podcast episodes that are up, and people can, can definitely check them out. There's lots of episodes. There's some great music there. Don't let my misanthropic attitude at the moment uh, turn you <laughs> off to it. When I was doing them, I was very inspired about it. And when it's time to do them again, I will be inspired again or vice versa. And speaking of things that I'm inspired about, coming up next week, we have an episode about a great film. It's The Front, directed by Martin Ritt and starring Woody Allen. And what's exciting about it is that it's a film about the blacklist, the Hollywood blacklist uh, that came out in 1976. And it was made entirely or almost entirely, the the creative team, the director, the writer, and three of the main actors were all actually blacklisted entertainers in the 50s. Hmm. And so they just bring a level of authenticity to the story that is pretty admirable. And it's also a really funny movie about a very dark topic. So not Hmm. like a goofy... So it manages to be a very serious movie and a very funny movie. And there are ways that it, it, I don't want to say that it's an influence on, but I can just feel like 
there's something about it that makes me think Larry David must love this movie. <laughs> I uh, believe it. Yes. Yeah, so uh, have it, I'll be uh, I'll be joined by a guest co-host, Aaron Leonard, the author of Folk Singers in the Bureau, uh, an expert, a scholar on the blacklist and the red scares of the 20th century. And uh, are you a, what do you know about, what, what, what can you tell listeners about Martin Ritt? <laughs> I know nothing about Martin Ritt. I know the name. Are you kidding? Know, you, you never saw I, HUD? I've never, never saw HUD, never seen anything by him. Spy who came in from the cold? Nope, nothing. Brian, you know, I, I just <laughs> want to check. Have you heard, there's a medium out there, it's called movies. Have you heard, have you heard of these is it, you know, have you, ever, have you ever heard? There's a guy named Paul Newman. He was kind of a he was kind of a movie star. The salad dressing bit. guy. Yeah, yeah. Bud. <laughs> one of the original antihero movies. Uh, okay, I'll I'll check it out. Spyo came in from the cold. Great film with Richard Burton. Really, really excellent. Mm. No, anyway, never saw Norma Ray. No, none of these movies sound funny to me, but the front does. So that maybe will be where I start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope I can inspire you to check it out and to check and for the listeners to check it out. We will be covering it next week on the World is Wrong podcast with Aaron Leonard. It's going to be a hoot. Uh, <laughs> no, it is. It's already been recorded. It's a great episode. I'm very happy with it. And I, great. I, I think I hope you'll all enjoy it. And so... Uh, Anything else you want to let listeners know about Nothing But Trouble or any of this before we go? No, I just I just say just watch the movie. If you haven't seen it, seek it out. And if you've seen it and you already judged it, give it another look. Give it a re- rejudge. <laughs> Maybe after whatever barbecue you have on your schedule. Don't, don't watch it before going to, to the hot dog roast. It'll, it'll kind, of, kind of ruin it. Yeah, that's a good good advice. Yeah. Okay, well, and uh, as far as good advice goes, you know, we always leave you with this life-affirming message. Just please, please, folks, remember, wherever you are, and I mean wherever you are, the world is wrong, and it's probably wrong about you. Hi! I'm Bobo. That's Little Double. Hi, we're not allowed in the house. Oh, okay. Three. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Two. Oh, oh, I win my deal. No, 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 no. Bobo wins because Bobo's hand was on top. Yeah, my hand's on top. I win my deal. No, I won my deal. My hand's on top. My deal, I win. That's right. No, no, it's Bobo's deal because Bobo's hand was on top. Yeah, my hand was on top. I win my deal. Okay. Okay. If I win again, I get another bowl of cereal. And if I win, I get Diane. No, little devil. My deal. Okay, Bobo, deal them.